morning. Good to see you all. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 17 through really, just to be honest, probably about 20. Um, I know we read through 24, but we'll probably get to 20 today. Um, and we'll be looking at the thought, this thought, we'll be looking at the false confidence of the religious, the false confidence of the religious. That's what I've titled my sermon today. Let's pray. Father, teach us what we could not know apart from you. Help us today, Lord, to grasp our great need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, in our arrogance. Keep us from that because we have been saved, because we have been chosen, because, Lord, we have in our being made new. Father, I pray, Lord, that from this our hearts would be made new. And Father, we'll be faithful in our self-examination, our self-understanding of who we are and what we need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 2, verse beginning in verse 17, Paul wants his readers to know their need for the gospel. We as the people of God should never forget our need for the gospel. You may say, well, Rick, we're, we're already saved. Kind of like, yes, but you still need the gospel every single day. It's easy for us to forget our need as we look at others and say, man, do you see what they do? Do you, you see what they do? Do you see the practice of their life? Looking at others always has a bad effect on yourself because you usually either boost yourself way up or you bring yourself into despair. And so our object is Christ, always. That's who we look to. And Paul is trying to help them to see. I mean, the very beginning of this section is actually in chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Why do we need the gospel? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. We desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And from that point, Paul began to point out how the Gentiles have exchanged the truth of God that he made known in his creation. And by putting on display his own attributes in creation, that mankind 
exchanges the truth of God for a lie and pursues sinfulness. In chapter one, verse or chapter two, verse one, Paul turns the tables and he says, Hey Jews, you are judging these Gentiles who are doing these awful things, but you do the same thing. And he started a diatribe there in chapter 2, verse 1, and he's picking that back up here in verse 17. What he's doing today is he's speaking particularly to the Jews about, or to this Jew that's in this imaginary conversation with him, about his religious self-perception. He's basically saying, you know, Jew, you think you're okay because you've had these privileges. But your self-perception is false. You need the gospel. That's what he's saying. Go ahead and tell you that, that up front in case it gets confusing somewhere in the middle. And then I'll come back and tell you the same thing at the end. Two things I want, two primary things I want us to see out of this text. One, misused truth blinds us to the gospel. Misused truth blinds us to the gospel. Everything Paul is about to say regarding the Jew is true. But they took that truth and misused it. Secondly, misused truth blinds others to the gospel. Misused truth blinds others to the gospel. If we don't see the gospel as a need for us, and we see ourselves as those who instruct others the instruction that we give them is like the blind leading the blind let's think about this today and how desperately we need the gospel paul says there but if you call yourself a jew and rely on the law and boast in god and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law in the law, the embodiment of knowledge, of truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? He starts off, you call yourself a Jew. Call is to name oneself and have regard for what you are, who you are. There's a boasting in what he is saying here in terms of being a Jew. Paul's not opposed to that. He's a Jew. He was a good one too, all right? Before he came to know Christ, man, he was well-respected among the Jews. But he said, you 
Call yourself a Jew. You see, that's a self-perception. And they had this unique relationship with God. Uh, and, and they used that relationship in contrast and as a contrast to the godless, immoral Gentiles. That's what is happening in the argument. They're taking the fact that we're Jews and they're Gentiles and they're creating a contrast with that. We're not like them. We have this truth. And basically what Paul is saying, yeah, but what are you doing with it? Their self-perception pointed to privilege they had with God. They didn't understand that their reliance on this privilege was insufficient for their salvation. What they did is they misused these truths and could not see that they needed the gospel of Jesus that Paul proclaimed. You call yourself a Jew. They had a unique relationship with God, the Jews did. God had called them. He called Abraham, and through Abraham, he promised a son. And that son was Isaac. And then he had a son, Jacob. And Jacob had 12. And there's the 12 tribes of Israel. God called them, and he made them his very own. I mean, they, they had pride in this. It was almost a, a non-sinful pride. But at the same time, they took what God had done and used that to convey that they had what they did not have. And the only way they could have that was in Jesus Christ. I mean, God has chosen us, Paul. That's kind of how the conversation goes. Hey, you need the gospel. No, God's chosen us. We're the people of God. We have the law. You know, and they start boasting and all these things. We have these things. Paul's kind of like, yeah, but you're not transformed. This nation's heart is far away from the living God. In other words, the gospel's transformational. They were proud of their privilege. But they didn't have anything to do with the choosing, did they? There was nothing spectacular about Abraham that God said, you know, he's got all these credentials and qualifications. I'm going to choose this guy. He was a river worshiper. From Ur of the Chaldees. There was nothing special about him except that God said, That guy, this is my plan. This 
is how I will fulfill the purposes for which and of which I have determined before the foundation of the world. Abraham. Abram at the time. The people of Paul's day, they were very proud of that, but you didn't have anything to do with it. Abraham didn't have anything to do with it. God didn't choose them because they were the greatest among the nations. He chose them even though they were the least among the nations. Do you know why Moses in writing in Deuteronomy chapter 7, why God says that he chose them? Because he loved them. He loved them. What is there to be proud of for them? They twisted God's choosing, God's election, into something that cannot redeem. They're hoping in who they are and what they have come to learn in the law. But they've also said, we're rejecting Christ. The law and the prophets that they read and that they boasted in and that they held to spoke of a Messiah that would come to redeem. Yet they pushed him aside. There's much for us to learn from this point. Many of us grew up hearing the stories. David and Goliath. Joseph. We grew up with great privilege when it pertains to things of the gospel. We grew up hearing our fathers and our mothers reading the Bible. Or our mom singing the solid rock. My mom did that. Mind you, my mom was a total monotone, okay? But I remember her singing the solid rock. And because he lives. Y'all remember that? You're probably hearing your mom singing in your own ears right now, your own head, or your dad. None of these things can we rest our heart on. We can't be proud that we're Baptists. I'm a Baptist. I didn't really have anything to do with it, to tell you the truth. I mean, I came in on the cradle roll. But we can't boast in, hey, you know, we're Baptists. We're not those Presbyterians, you know. We're not those Methodists. We don't baptize no babies. That don't matter. They had a unique relationship with God, and we have a unique relationship with God. 
It's not like that out in the world. But we have to be careful in what we are trusting. Are you trusting Christ? Or are you trusting a theology? Because these were theologians. The Jews knew their stuff when it came to the law and the prophets. It's no secret that the theology that is taught from this pulpit and in our classrooms resonates from what is called Reformed theology. That's not a secret around here. But we have to be careful not to replace the gospel with our theology. The gospel is is that God is amazing and He loves sinners. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinners. That He would bear our sin. That He would take on the wrath of God. That He would die and be buried and rose again. And we see that the wages of sin is death, but he overcame it. So that has to mean one thing. He overcame sin. And all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that great news? We're going to get to heaven and we're going to be rejoicing, okay? We're going to be, yes, here I am. I made it. And I didn't make it because I did something. I made it because God is merciful. And we're going to bump into somebody out there. And we're going to bump into them. We're going to go, man, look, we're here. We don't even we know them on earth. Here we are. And one of us is going to say, man, I just thank God so much. That he saved me. And I just remember how totally depraved I was. And how he saved me. Man, what did you think about studying and thinking about the hypostatic union? And the guy looks at you and goes, excuse me, what's that? You know. God, man, all in one. Jesus. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, well, that's part of what we learned about Jesus is that he was the God-man. He was truly God and truly man. Yes, but I don't know what you said. Man, how'd you come to know Christ? He said, I was in an alley next to a dumpster. Strung out on crack cocaine. And some guy in tore jeans and a t-shirt came up to me with a ragged Bible in his hand and began telling me the gospel. And I heard it. And I said, you mean 
This Jesus can set me free from this? Yes. That's what I know. And I came to know Christ. And so I got me a ragged Bible, and I started going to the same alley, and I began telling people, how do they learn words like, what would you say? Hypostatic union. we got to be careful that we don't take our theology and turn it into the gospel. There are going to be people there that have no idea what the doctrines of grace are, except that they heard the gospel of Christ and were saved. <laughs> George Whitfield and John Wesley were contemporaries, both evangelists at one time, tight. Then they disagreed. It was on the point of theology, particularly the doctrines of grace and, you know, the other. Someone once asked Whitfield, they got, they got along, by the way. And somebody once asked Whitfield, sir, do you think you will see Mr. Wesley in heaven? Whitfield said, oh, no. No, I will not see Whitfield in heaven, or Wesley in heaven. Whitfield, by the way, was reformed in his thinking, and Wesley was not. He said, Mr. Wesley will be so near the throne of grace, and I so far away, I shall not be able to see the top of his head. The unique relationship with God that the Jews had was unable to save them. And your knowledge and your understanding and growing and all the knowledge that you're growing in, and you are. I am so proud of this congregation. I can't even tell you how much I love you and how much I am proud of you because you are so diligent to want to learn. But if you think the knowledge of theology and the knowledge of things can save you, it won't. It won't. We had nothing to do with being saved except that he called us he put us there. I mean, what can they boast in? What can we boast in? Nothing. Isn't that great? I can't boast in anything. Listen to the words of this hymn. It's Isaac Watts. You've probably never heard it before, okay? Isaac Watts wrote tons of hymns that nobody has ever heard in our generation. This is, and, and probably the title causes people to say, well, let's don't. Let's don't sing that one because it says, How sweet and awful is the place. Okay. Now, a lot of churches want to sing something with the title, with the word awful in the title. Listen. While our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, 
Why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? Why? Can I answer that for you? Because he loves you. He loves you. If you're sitting out there right now and you doubt the love of God, please look to Jesus. If you doubt that God loves you, Christian, because this week or this month or this year, you've not been following well, You've not been loving well. Why was I a guest? Because he loves you. How do I know? He did not spare his own son. That's how you They misused truth. Let us never misuse truth. Because it will blind us to the gospel. It will keep us from seeing. Not only this, but they had, they had a unique relationship with him. But also, they said, we have the law. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, that word rely is to rest. Uh, to lean into it. So to depend on it. That we have the law. Paul said, you're not wrong. And the law has righteous demands. And you don't obey them. And because of that, you need the gospel. Later on in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, uh, Paul is going to write, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end of the law of righteousness. Not us keeping it. The law has righteous demands, and guess what? We don't meet them. None of us. Paul's saying, hey, you Jew, you have the law, but you don't do it. And you know, you know, that if you trust in the law, you've got to do all the law, and you don't. What's the end of that? You need the gospel. I mean, he's basically saying, I want you to know. I told Gina this morning, she said, how's your sermon? I said, I sound like I'm repeating myself. But that's what's happening. 
Look with me at chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No. No, you're not. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. All of us. That's where he's going with this. The law has righteous demands, and you don't meet them. You don't obey them, and you can't fulfill them, which is why you have to trust in Jesus. What is the law for then? Well, one, it shows us our sin, and two, it leads us to Christ. Right here, Romans chapter 10, verse 4. One, it shows us our sin, and two, it leads us to Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law, who uh, satisfies the law, who never sinned, and who is our propitiation, our substitute for all who believe and call on him. Basically, one of the things that Paul is saying is that you've become immune to your sense of need of grace you become immune to it that's easy for us to do next we see that he he says you rely on the law and you boast in God You don't know him. You know about him, and you know he called you. You know he called the nations, but you don't really know him. You're obsessed with knowledge about him, but you don't know him in a personal, loving way. You're obsessed with knowing things about him, but you're not engaged in any kind of relationship with him. You know him, Paul says, but you don't love him. Knowledge of God is supposed to lead us to loving Him. Everything we've got. Rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent. Know God's will and approve what is excellent. In other words, they're taking pride in their spiritual and moral discernment. You say, we know what God wants. We know what God is up to. We, we know these things about what God is working out. You may be proud of that, but what you call spiritual and moral discernment is leading you to do the same things that the Gentiles do. You ought to have it because you have the books of wisdom and you have the books of law and you have all these things. You have the prophets, but you don't. 
Verse 18, and know his will and approve what is excellent because you were instructed from the Lord. Paul's saying, y'all, these things are true. I'm not taking these things away from you. But what you don't have is you haven't believed the gospel. And you need to believe the gospel. Because both Jews and Gentiles are under sin. And you're not making it on these merits alone. Last thing is misused truth blinds others to the gospel. Verse 19, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? If something is off in your theology, and certainly it was for them, they believed that all the privileges that God had given them would be enough. But if your theology is off, something will be off in your instruction, in your teaching, and what you teach others. That's something we always ought to be cautious about when we're teaching the Word of God. Be careful not to say what it doesn't say. but also be careful to say what it does say. Second thing about this is, if nothing is off in your theology, somebody's got something wrong somewhere in their theology, and we bear with one another in that. If nothing is off in your theology, but you don't practice it, you're leading others into the same pit as if you had off theology in your teaching. If nothing is off in your theology, I'm repeating that, but you don't practice it, you are leading others into the same pit. Jesus said this, in Luke 6, 39, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Yes, indeed they will. Paul's telling the Jews these things are true. They don't keep you from needing the gospel to be saved. That's true of us. But two things to take away. One, we can't place our hopes in anything except the gospel. That is the fountain of our life. We can't hope 
in things that change. We can only hope in the one who doesn't. And the gospel doesn't change. We can't put our hopes in the privilege, our denomination, our morality, our nationality. We can only put our hope in one thing, one thing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's it. Second. Preach the gospel to yourself every single day. You need it. I need it. I got to remind myself every day that I'm a sinner. That's how big pride is. You wake up not thinking you're a sinner, but everybody else is. You wake up thinking, boy, my wife sure is a big sinner. I hope she repents today. I'm not talking about my wife, okay? All right, I know better. She goes ahead and tells me how sinful she is anyway. I'm kidding. I'm going to get her in trouble for this one. Y'all see a bald guy tied to a luggage rack, you'll know. And we're sinful. I mean, seriously. Myself. You. I'm not pointing out anybody individually, but we're all sinful. We can't even think right. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Wake up every single day and tell Jesus, I need you. I need you. I don't just need you right now at 6 a.m. when I'm praying to you. I need you every hour. I need you every moment. Lord, don't let me get prideful in my walking with you, my loving you. I mean, Paul is saying, you need the gospel, Jew. Hey, Gentile, you need the gospel. You here who haven't trusted in Jesus, you need the gospel. You need to trust Jesus. Christian, you need the gospel. It's not just a message for lost people. It's a continuing message for everyone. You believers, remind yourself every day, I am a sinner turned into a saint for the glory of God.
and I am prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. Paul's message is nothing else will save you and nothing else will keep you except the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Trust him every day. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you. I thank you so much, God, that our salvation is not dependent upon us fully obeying the law because none of us would be saved. And I am thankful, Lord, that when you have saved us, you do not change your mind. You do not show us fine print that tells us that we could lose our salvation. Instead, Lord, you save us to the uttermost and you keep us as your very own and you transform us in the renewing of our mind. And Father, we want to be transformed. And day by day, Lord, we... We push against that. I don't think always knowingly. That's just how dull we are. We don't even know we're doing it. We walk right into a pit. So Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would make us your own and keep us. Help us to want to follow you. Help us to want to become holy like you. Help us to want to kill sin in our life. And then, Lord, take all those desires and drive us to do it. Pray this in Jesus' name.